There are multiple ways to keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast. Through our Instagram handle, the Wolf Connection Pod, and for comments and questions, send us an email to podcast at wolfconnection.org with your comments, questions, and guest ideas for Stephen and myself. You may hear your question answered on an upcoming podcast. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. Let's talk about some more. Very excited to have this gentleman here with us. He is a wildlife and conservation photographer, a writer, and a nature guide in four different states, Wyoming, Alaska, Colorado, and Montana. Currently, he's in his home in Denver, Colorado. Arthur Leffo. Arthur, thanks for being uh, open to coming on the podcast. You've been traveling. You're back in Denver. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been a long time listening to your guys' podcast. Really stoked to, to have been invited and, and excited to chat more about wolves and everything else, uh, conservation and photography with you guys for the next hour or so. Before we get started, tell us just kind of where you've been lately and what adventures you're on. And, uh, you know, by your email exchanges, it seems pretty fascinating. Yeah, I've been kind of all over the place, like you, like you point out. Um, so I'm in Denver right now. Uh, this is kind of just like a three-day um, layover um, before going back to Alaska. Uh, so I started my year, I guess we'll just talk about 2022, started my year in uh, Wyoming, uh, leading wolf trips, uh, wolf photography trips, and just wildlife photography trips in general um, down in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, so Grand Teton and, and Yellowstone National Parks. Um, and then, uh, was back in Colorado for a couple months, just going, doing some backend work after that. And then I drove up to Alaska with some friends, uh, at the end of April, uh, to spend my summer season up there. So I'm a, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a guide, uh, and a photographer. And, uh, in the summers I guide up in Juneau, Alaska, in the Southeast Alaska, focusing on expanding, uh, bear viewing in Southeast Alaska specifically. Uh, it's a region I love very dearly. It's a, a region that I'm looking to do um, more work in in the future, uh, including uh, surrounding wolves. Um, so just been there for a couple of weeks. And I just got back from a two-week trip back to Europe. I'm originally French. Uh, grew up in, in Miami, but I was born in France. Uh, so I went back to, to see some family and spend some time there uh, midsummer uh, while the bears were kind of heading up high into the Alpine uh, during the the hot June and July months, which it was oddly really, really hot in Juno the last month. I think it just started raining again, but they had some days hitting 90 degrees basically in Juno, um, which is unheard of. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of bouncing around a lot these days. I mean, that's got to keep you on your toes. And it, it, does that make you more on the nose or on the ball, if you're doing anything that you're, you're constantly moving around, you constantly have a couple of things in the, in the fire or you, you seem like you're a guy that needs to keep moving. Yeah, I definitely am a guy that likes to keep moving. I think, um, it's something I realized, um, I moved out to Jackson a few years back and lived there for, for two years. And by the end of it, as much as I loved it, I really felt like I was just kind of staying in the same place, being a little stagnant. Um, I, I was guiding, um, but, you know, was in Jackson the great majority of the time, even for the guiding. Uh, so I, I realized that I kind of just needed needed a bit more of a diverse lifestyle. And that's what I pursued. And that's what that's what I got. That's exactly what I'm doing. It's it's exciting. You know, it's it's a lot of travel and it's exhausting sometimes, but um, it's really rewarding. And uh, it's really awesome to be able to 
see so many different sides of the world and also reconnect, you know, from being in the depths of the wilderness to even reconnecting with sort of um, places where uh, I'm surrounded by people that uh, we need on our side in the fight for conservation, right? Like it's easy, I think, as a conservationist, someone who lives in the wilderness, who loves the wilderness so much to just let yourself be completely immersed in in a place like that and sort of lose touch with like the day-to-day lives of folks uh, in the real world, so to say. Um, and so I really appreciate, you know, having that, that change in perspective and, and bringing myself back to like what people are actually doing on, in their day-to-day lives and incorporating that into uh, my conservation work and how I, I go about my job. Being one of these folks who's, you know, seemingly been everywhere, what's an adventure or location that's, that's on your, your long-term bucket list like a you know a dream location a dream adventure that just has not come to pass just yet yeah um so i think about adventures very much in um the scope of wildlife um so some bucket list items um i have photographed polar bears before uh but i really want to check out svalbard um that's that's definitely a goal i'd like to get up there uh, as the sea ice starts to melt, um, to get some photos of polar bears on ice. Uh, also would love to go back to, uh, Patagonia, photograph some pumas, uh, and also Brazil for jaguars. Um, all those are really incredible places. Um, uh, pumas and jaguars are two species I have not photographed. Um, but I'd really like to get back there, uh, as well as, uh, Asia, I guess I'll just throw that in there too. I'd love to go chase some snow leopards, um, as much luck as might be, it might be required to see one. Uh, it's definitely an adventure I want to, want to head out on someday and something I have some friends uh, who have, who've done, and it sounds like an an epic adventure. Yeah. It seems like you want to get the elusive the elusive creatures, you know, <laughs> that you want to see the ones that yeah, it's like, like, you can say yeah. I like the chase. Yeah. I like, the, I like the chase for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about that too, because you, you grew up in Alaska, right? So you have, the, you have the Alaskan backcountry there. I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Florida. In Florida I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm Florida. Yeah. Okay. When did you move to Alaska then? I thought you were in Alaska. I was reading your bio. Maybe I got that wrong. That's my fault. I have been visiting Alaska since 2018. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. So, kind of an interesting way to for someone to grow up in Florida and end up um, in Alaska, right? It's like the literal polar opposite side of the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I grew, I grew up in Florida, as I was saying, just very immersed in nature. Um, and Alaska is one of the two places that had um, a really profound impact on my development and my transition into photography specifically. Um, beyond guiding. Um, um, Alaska in 2018 is actually when I first used a camera. Um, I was there with a good friend of mine who's a uh, bear biologist and legendary uh, uh, wildlife guide. His name is Justin Gibson. Um, And he was shooting on an Olympus camera at the time. And we were going around Alaska, covered a ton of ground, um, went to Denali, went to Kenai, uh, and went to Katmai and, uh, he sort of showed me the ropes, uh, for how to shoot. And I fell in love with uh, the art of photography at that point. Um, so that's, that's how I ended up in Alaska. And I think it, it has just drawn me back ever since, 
Um, and then the other place that's had a really profound impact, I'm sure we'll touch on is Greenland, um, which was less of a wildlife experience, just more of a, um, you could, you could call it a spiritual wilderness experience, so to say. <laughs> I mean, when you're, so when you're getting into this, I mean, let's talk about Greenland because you, you talked about it and it, it seems like that was such an impactful trip for you. Just tell us, tell everybody about what the, I guess the reason for the trip in its, you know, initially going there, and then what did you take out of it, uh, and how has it impacted you since? Yeah, so I was I was at the time working. I went there with uh, a company I was working with at the time that I still do some work with from time to time called Natural Habitat Adventures. Uh, they run trips uh, for the World Wildlife Fund, um, so they have amazing trips around the world. And Greenland is is a destination that they uh, created this incredible. Uh, really remote base camp on uh, the east side of Greenland. So I was there, um, and it was my first time there. Um, have always been fascinated and drawn to uh, the far north, high latitudes, ironically, again, being from Florida. Um, I think it's just something, you know, you, you, you always want what you can't have. You chase the, the, the unknown, right? And I think Greenland and, and the far north is very much that for me. And... Um, Going to Greenland, you know, I was just stoked to go there. I was just excited to be there, really looking forward to, um, you know, immersing myself in this place and this landscape uh, and the culture as well. The culture is fascinating. Um, you know, one of the only places in the world, I think, still today where you can talk to a 70-some-year-old man who grew up in a sod house, um, who remembers in his 20s seeing power lines being laid down in his home, uh, growing up in a time of hunting and gathering and grew, you know, growing old into the age of iPhones. Um, it's a really, really fascinating perspective on the world and how things have changed and how, uh, climate and specific has impacted their region. So, um, really the reason why it ended up being such an impactful experience for me was, um, being there on the ground, um, staying for a week, a week, um, in the presence of the Greenland ice sheet, um, which, you know, it's, it's not a wild animal. And I have, I've always sought connections to wild animals, but in this case, it was a really, really strong connection to this landscape, to this, uh, natural resource, uh, you know, the second largest freshwater store on the planet. Um, and just being there and hearing the stories from, from the natives and from, um, um, a whole variety of folks, as well as the, the guests we had on that trip, um, was, and, and seeing the guests react to it. It was just a really, 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 uh, powerful experience where, um, I just sort of was very grounded in the reality of the situation that we're facing as a species. Um, and it, cemented in my mind, my, my life purpose, so to say. Um, and I've been living by this life purpose, um, ever since, um, I actually wrote myself a letter from Greenland and I've read this on a podcast before, but I, I figured it's, it's appropriate to read because it's, it's, it's something that I, it's sort of my life motto. It's what I live by. And so I wrote this myself, this letter at the end of the trip and, and sent it back, um, uh, to my home address here in Colorado. And I've, I've been reading it uh, very frequently ever since. And I wrote, Dear Arthur from Greenland, let your soul live free, for it is not within the 
in the pursuit of freedom through riches that you will find happiness in this world. Seek the wild open spaces filled with wonder and inspiration and strive to share these pure places with others, inspiring change in the most honest of ways. Um, and so that's what I've been living my life by ever since. Uh, so Alaska and Greenland combined have had a profound impact on my life direction and uh, what I focus my time on today. That's incredible. When you're when you're out, like you say, because you've been all over taking photos of wildlife and and wild things, what are the what are the things that you try to keep in mind as you're out there photographing? What's the story? Do you try to tell stories every time? Is it different with each click of the lens? What what are you thinking on every sort of trip or adventure or journey that you go out to? Yeah, it, it varies a lot. Um, and I like to, I say this a lot, but I consider myself a nature lover first and a photographer second. Um, I don't enjoy photography in the great majority. Not that I don't enjoy it. I just don't have the same passion for it in the great majority of other disciplines in photography, right? Like people photography or street photography. I mean, even, I mean, I, I was, I started off shooting more landscapes than wildlife um, or more of a balance between the two. And I've really evolved into more wildlife, but it really comes down to me to being in nature and connecting with the environment around me and grounding myself in the present moment and where I am. And um, I don't really have a specific way I go about things. Um, some of my images uh, are images that I sought, after, that, I, that I looked for, that I thought of beforehand, that I worked very hard to get, and other ones, uh, complete luck encounters, chance encounters. Um, and you know, both of those different kinds of uh, images and, and um, sort of creative processes to me have just as much value as one another. I think it's important for me to have variety in how I create images. Um, and so I don't really have a specific process. I really just go out and I let, uh, not to sound cheesy or anything, but I really do let just like my heart and like whatever I desire guide me. Right. So if, if I'm in the winter, I love tracking wolves, for example, so I can, I'll spend, you know, days and days and days, just like following wolf tracks this winter. I followed wolf tracks all winter and I found no wolves on foot, but just following them was enough for me right now. Had I actually found one this last winter on foot uh, or happened across a kill or something, you know, that would have been uh, an incredibly rewarding experience and it has uh, happened before, but at the end of the day, it's about being outside, enjoying the outdoors and um, the uh, inspiring change in the most honest of ways part of that, a life motto I live by, striving to share these pure places with others. That's sort of the next big piece, right, is is uh, trying to inspire people to find their own connection in nature in a, in a world that I deem has become ever more disconnected from nature and wilderness in particular. And I want to make the distinction between nature and wilderness um, because I think a lot of people don't think about mm -hmm. that enough anymore. Um, but um, yeah, just really in, in, inspiring people to to find their own personal connection to nature and to to do exactly what I do, which is just going out there and enjoying the outdoors and 
and and finding a connection to to the world around us. Yeah, that was what I was basically just going to ask, but I think you answered it there. How do you plan the basic logistics, the locations you're going to head to? How do you plan the areas you're going to hike into? Do you study sort of your shoot from a map, for example, before you really you really get after an area, or are you genuinely just driving into your favorite spot and and walking around just hoping that the shot's there. Yeah, anything goes, right? There's times where I'll literally just look at a topo map right. and I'll walk around and I'll be like, this area looks sweet. I'll switch over to satellite. I mean, I'll literally use Google Maps. It's so great with all the satellite imagery and all the topo. I'll be like, this looks like a sweet spot. I'm going to hike there and check it out, you know? And sometimes I go and I get skunked and it's not that great. And sometimes I go and, um, you know, I find... Uh, some fresh tracks, or if I'm lucky, an animal. Uh, I did that recently up in, in Juneau in Alaska. I just kind of like scouted a topo map and ended up in a beautiful little cove where I found fresh wolf tracks. And um, just finding those tracks, you know, that were maybe a couple hours old was was enough. Um, and then there's other times where I'll go to spots that I know um, that I've been to before, where I know uh, certain animals might frequent that area at certain times of the year. And then um, there's a really strong uh, community nowadays in wildlife photography. And I've made some of the uh, closest friendships thanks to wildlife photography and, um, you know, just sharing, um, some spots, of course, some spots are more sensitive than others, uh, but with, with some friends and, and, um, you know, helping each other out has also been really, really important and instrumental to my success. Um, I would not have made it where I am today without the help of, like-minded photographers who are focused on uh, ethically photographing animals. Speaking of getting getting skunked, this is definitely something we hear from every <laughs> photographer. They're out there for, for, for more than a week. They could not see a single critter. And that's a reality of being out in the woods for sure for, for a lot of folks who explore it. How does that affect you if it does at all? Or how do you process that type of feeling when it, when it approaches frustration? Yeah, I think what I try to bring myself back to again is enjoying being outside. Yeah, um, exactly. it's like, I don't know, there's, there's some sort of quote, I don't know exactly how it goes with, re- with, uh, relation to fishing, right? It's like fishing, catching a fish is not what you're, you're not going fishing to catch. You're not catching, you're fishing, right. You're, fishing. You're, right you're just hoping to catch. And that's, that's kind of how I see it. And it's, I grew up fishing actually a lot. So I, I draw a lot of parallels between the two. And I think there's also a lot of parallels between, uh, wildlife photography and hunting. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's certainly inevitably I get upset sometimes, right? Like there's times where like, I mean, this winter, I'm not going to lie, you know, I was going out a lot looking for wolves and it felt like everywhere I went, the wolves would show up somewhere else. You know, I would leave Jackson to go look for wolves in Yellowstone. And the day I would leave, I had a friend that would spot like a pack of 12 wolves chasing elk around, uh, in the park. And then I'd come back and then the wolves would show up in Yellowstone. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's hard not to let frustration get to you sometimes, but I think at the end of the day, it's just being grateful that we still have all these, uh, incredibly wild places, uh, that are so, so worth, uh, um, fighting for and finding the time to enjoy. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to spend time in places like these. Yeah, absolutely. What was the shift like for you? Go, like you said, you, sh- you were shooting landscapes first, then you you made it over to wildlife, you know, wolves, bears, things like that. Was there a specific instance that happened or was there just a, a switch that went off for you that said, I want to go a little bit more in this direction? 
Yeah, so I always enjoyed uh, photographing sort of a variety of things from landscapes to wildlife. Uh, when I got into photography in Alaska, it was very much that really, really diverse sort of um, portfolio, so to say. And then I think uh, during COVID, when COVID first hit, uh, I got laid off from the company that uh, I went to Greenland with. Um, there was a whole slew of layoffs, and I ended up moving spontaneously out to Jackson Hole um, because there was not much of a reason to be in a city. Um, <laughs> and uh, moved out to Jackson, and uh, at that point, you know, what had become something I would do every few weeks or every weekend. Um, turned into something that I did literally every single day, um, where every single morning I would go out every single evening I would go out. Um, I found jobs, uh, during, you know, the lull in ecotourism that allowed me to go out a lot. So I plowed snow. Um, you know, I could work a couple days a week. It pays really well. It's a really, really exhausting, uh, physically demanding job, but it gave me the free time I needed to, to spend, uh, the time I wanted to outdoors and really focus on developing my photography, my art. Um, and, um, that's sort of when I started doing more wildlife specifically, because, uh, as incredible as Jackson is, as stunning as the landscapes are personally, and I know there's varying perspectives on this, but personally, I feel that, you know, I've seen this landscape so many times, unless there's like a really profound, like incredible display of weather or like lightning or like some of the craziest light you've seen sometimes in the mornings or in the evenings. Um, animals are, you know, it's, it's an endless uh, resource of, of unique images and experiences and encounters. Um, and so I focused more on wildlife from that point on because I felt like I was getting more variety. I was keeping things fresh and um, really ever since then, have been doing almost exclusively wildlife with the exception of, you know, here and there I'll see a landscape and I'll really like it and be inspired. And, um, I think it's important to be passionate about the things you photograph that really comes through in, in, in your work when you are passionate. And, um, I don't really seek out landscapes, you know, I'll, I'll seek out wildlife these days and I might hike past a, a viewpoint or something. And I'm like, wow, that's epic. I have to take a photo of that. And I'll take a photo. Right, right. Um, yeah, Jackson's pretty incredible. You can you can get a lot of wildlife in your uh, lens, I'm sure, very close to town. Yeah, I'd say, I, I mean, I would never really drive more than an hour out of Jackson, except when I would go to Yellowstone. Uh, an hour is, gave me a Tetons. an insane amount of photography opportunities. It's, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I went on like a, I was there recently working with a client and I, we, we just after dinner, we were like, let's just, let's go for a walk by the snake river. And we instantly saw a moose as soon as I turned onto the thing. Yeah. There's just critters everywhere, man. It's, a, it's an amazing place. Yeah, it really is. What do you think the most, I don't use the word difficult, but what, what do you think the most challenging photo in your memory is to, to have captured? Like whether it be the, in the planning of it or the execution of it, what's the shot you feel you had to work the hardest to get? Wolf shots in general. <laughs> Just, are just all of them. Just like, and, and just like, it's, it's ironic, right? Cause like, I could say like the shot that's been the hardest to get has been like a wolf shot. Right. Um, right. but the best, my favorite wolf shot I've ever captured. I don't know if it's my best, you know, I think that's subjective, but yeah, exactly. Um, 
my favorite wolf shot I've ever captured, which I shared with you guys, uh, I titled it Magnificence is the Essence of Your Being, um, is actually the result of a chance encounter. Despite having spent hours and hours and hours and hours, you know, looking for these animals, this is just the right place, the right time, the right animal, um, and the right, um, I think, for the photographers listening, you know, a piece of advice that I always like to give is um, remaining opportunistic because a lot of the best images with wildlife are just like split second moments that if you're not fully in the moment, if you're not paying attention, it's so easy to miss these um, uh, opportunities that uh, produce some really, really incredible images. And, and this is one of them. This is uh, for those of you who have seen the image or who will go see it, it's it's an image of a black wolf, a uh, member of the Junction Butte uh, pack in the northern range of Yellowstone. Um, uh, he's sort of a loner. I don't know if he's uh, was, you know, sort of um, still a part of the pack, if he was just going around. He was kind of gnawing on an old carcass, so it doesn't sound like or it didn't look to me like he was uh, high up in the wolf pack by any means. And uh, I've asked myself many times whether this wolf is still alive today, obviously for uh, obvious reasons that I'm sure you uh, you know you guys have talked about <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but um, it was it was up in that area of the park, and um, I was actually with uh, some some guests that day, some clients. Um, and we were looking for black bears because the Junction View pack was out in the distance. And I was like, you know what? like we're not gonna take you know thousand millimeter images of wolf dots um you know i have i I take some clients out there who are really really focused on getting uh intimate images of wildlife and so we focused on looking for bears that morning and found uh this area that looked uh that that has been productive for me and um sort of pulled around a corner and um saw this big black furry animal with its head down in the grass and my instinct since i had seen black bears there before was oh black bear like let's go like let's get ready <laughs> uh and then uh it lifted its head and it was very clearly not a black bear um <laughs> i was like well that's a wolf uh and so he he was kind of uh 50 yards away from us give or take at first maybe 70 and uh, trotted over to this old carcass, like I was talking about, it was like plucking hair off of his carcass. I mean, this guy looked hungry. He was desperate for some food and then sort of locked eyes with us and, and um, curiously walked up to us. Um, um, so we got back in the car um, and um, he sort of just like, he was just going about his day. He sort of like walked past us, just like sniffing around. And then uh, started created some more distance, um, walked behind us, started walking up this little hill, at which point we got back out and started taking photos again. And right before disappearing is when this image was captured. Uh, he sort of hopped up onto this uh, big old burnt downed log um, and um, looked back at us. That image, that eye contact is maybe a second, you know? Um, the images before and after that one are him not looking directly at us. So he glanced at us for a split second and then hopped off the backside of that log and disappeared into the forest uh, just as elegantly as he, uh, you know, approached us and uh, just existed around us for that short period of time. And 
uh, it was just one of the most special and, and um, memorable experiences in the wild, you know, to, to be graced by the presence of an animal as, as, as incredible as a wolf um, is a gift without a doubt. And it's, it's incredibly rare as um, you guys know, as many listeners on this show probably know uh, to be close to a wild wolf. Um, uh, and especially to be, to be close to one in a very intimate setting where we were the only ones with this animal. Um, so yeah, I don't know how we got on that tangent. We were talking about, Oh, the difficulty of capturing some yep, of these images yep. so that, you know, wolf shots in general, really hard. Um, uh, other images that, you know, I've, I've, uh, worked hard for, uh, are just specific images that I've had in mind. Um, images of foxes, you know, um, not that foxes are hard to see or photograph, but like specific, um, perspectives on, uh, the life of a fox or, um, you know, compositions, um, are, are, have been the hardest ones, you know, or like specific compositions of, uh, I have a photo, um, of a pair of moose, uh, drinking out of a Creek in the Tetons and, you know, they're perfectly lined up with the Teton behind and having the right animals and the right light and the right landscape, like those kinds of the shot of shots, I think are the hardest, um, in terms of specific animals I chase, um, you know, and I, I hesitate to say that, you know, for example, the photos of, uh, photos, I have a few photos of bobcats and lynx, which are incredibly challenging animals to photograph. Um, but like every truly magical, special wildlife encounter, there's a bit of luck involved at the end of the day. I think, you know, knowledge is, is key and you sort of create your own luck through your knowledge, through your persistence. Um, and, um, you know, over time you, you, the harder you work, the more opportunities present themselves. And if you're able to seize those opportunities, um, you can make some pretty cool, pretty cool stuff happen. Well, we're looking at this. Well, I, I'm at least looking at this photo. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to put this one in the post that we put up on our Instagram um, when this episode is is airing, so everyone can check it out. But while so while we're on an actual photograph, you're you know <laughs> it looks like you're really having you know a moment with this with this animal, and he's really looks like he's presenting himself for whatever reason, maybe just to get a better look, but it's, it's a, there's an amazing energy to this, to this image, but let's just use this photo as an example for the photographers in the audience. I want to just be a gearhead for a second and get into the gear and the choices you make as a photographer, um, mm -hmm. especially for new photographers who want to get into this. Um, mm -hmm. and I've got a few of these, John, but, um, firstly, what was the first thing you did as a photographer when your eyes caught this animal, when you became aware of it and that it might present itself for a photo? What was the, what was the first thing you did? Did you duck down? Did you just stand exactly where you were, stand perfectly still, turn on your cameras, set the settings up? What was the first thing you did? I you always, yeah, no, I, I remember this day like it was <laughs> okay. yesterday. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, I always, and this is regardless of the animal, I always like to at least even if it's a few seconds like five seconds take note of the animal uh it's easy to let yourself and i'm guilty of it right when i started getting into spending more time with wildlife i think we all get excited for wildlife encounters um but i think it's really really important to remember that when we are in nature when we are spending time around wildlife we are not in our home we are in their home and we are our job as whether it be photographers or just viewers of wildlife is to keep animals wild and keep them undisturbed 
for their behavior to remain as it would have been if I, if we were not there, you know, that, that is the, the ultimate goal. And that sometimes is hard to do. Right. Um, but I think the first thing I do always is just like, watch, like what's going on. What's this animal doing? Does he look in any way distressed? Is something else going on? Is there another animal in the area? Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, uh, this wolf was like, like I said, head down in the grass, probably sniffing something and lifted his head up. He was sort of just scavenging around. Um, so I knew he wasn't, you know, and, and he was also at a, at a very comfortable distance when I first saw him about 70 yards or so, um, and sort of a few obstacles between, uh, us and him. So I, I knew that, you know, I was in a good position. So at that point I wasn't very rushed. Right. Uh, I think in, in, in the, in the event where you have a very close wildlife encounter, sort of out of the blue, that's the kind of encounter where you either have the right gear on for the photographers listening, you either have the right gear and the right lens on and you're ready to go and you're in the right place at the right time. And the animal is not, uh, in any way faced by your presence. Um, which is very rare. Um, but generally these close wildlife encounters are more for personal, uh, enjoyment, um, in my experience. Right. Um, I think the best images have come from encounters I've had where I either tracked or saw an animal further away. Um, and the animal trusted me enough or at its own will approached me or at its own will put itself in a position where it was in an ideal spot to photograph. Right. Um, so sort of letting the animals do the work and do the magic and letting the, letting the animals do what they do, because just letting them exist is enough to create these moments of, of magic, uh, like this one. Um, so that's what I do. Right. Next thing I think of is like, how far is this animal? What lens do I want to be using? And, and in this case, this is actually, I'm glad you brought it up for the photographers because this image is actually created. I unfortunately only had one body on me and I, and I know most people uh, shoot with one body. Um, right. Today I have two, but back then I only had one. So I would swap lenses between bodies. Um, and hmm. uh, at first I instantly, or I, I always shoot with a longer lens at first because I feel like you're more likely to see an animal far. Um, so I had a 600 millimeter F4 prime lens on. Um, so I got a lot of shots of this wolf at that focal length. And then as he headed up this hill, I didn't know that he was going to get on this log, but he was walking up towards it. And it was just a really, it was like six fifteen in the morning, really beautiful, soft light, um, it was really green, you know, like mid June. Uh, and I saw this log and I was like, that is a damn cool log. And <laughs> I really hope this wolf gets on this log. Wow. Um, and so I really, really quickly, I scrambled to change my lens and I have them all, you know, really close to me. Um, so I just like popped off my 600, put on an 80 to 300 F2.8 and that gave me the zoom that I needed to be able to actually capture this scene without that lens on this shot wouldn't have never happened, you know? And, and that's where I, that's where I, again, I'll go back to the, to this piece of advice for the photographers listening, being opportunistic, right? Like this is something I noticed it in the moment. I was like, that's a beautiful log. If by some 
miracle, this wolf hops onto this log. <laughs> um, I want to be ready to capture that, right? Like I had already gotten, you know, a, you know, a couple hundred photos because we're just spraying these days. Uh, a couple hundred photos of this wolf at 600 millimeters. I was like, I'm going to switch because this could be really cool. And, and, and then the wolf did the rest, you know, like he hopped up and he looked right at us and, um, you know, it's, it's in those moments where these kind of things kind of evolve and, and manifest themselves into reality where you almost feel like you're like telepathically connected to this animal. Right. Even, right. And I know yeah, that's, that's what like, it looks like, no, absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's definitely like uh, wishful thinking, but you know it, it feels that way, and I like to and I like to tell myself that we are because it's it's such it, it's such a special special uh, experience to be able to have you know to share a gaze with a wild wolf and and especially to have it be in such an incredibly beautiful natural setting in the wild. Mm -hmm. And you told us about the the glass you were using there, but were you using the Olympus bodies that you use now then? Yeah. So, uh, yep. I've, I've been, uh, shooting on Olympus now OM system. Uh, they rebranded, uh, since I started photography basically, um, um, started a little bit on a Canon at first, but then quickly went over to Olympus and now shooting OM system on the new newest body they released the OM one. Um, and I was using, yep. All, uh, Olympus, uh, Zuiko glass. So the uh, it's a micro four thirds sensor. So it's actually a 300 F4, but the field of view is 600. So it's, I, I really enjoy using, uh, their camera equipment because I find the image quality to be outstanding. Um, the lenses are incredibly sharp. Uh, the colors are great. And, um, uh, because of the sensor being a little smaller, um, you know, you're able to carry around a lot of gear and a lot of different lenses to cover a huge amount of focal ranges in, you know, package half the size. Uh, so it, it's really helpful when you're hiking a lot in the backcountry and tracking animals, which is why I've stuck with Olympus through and through is to have that sort of flexibility and freedom to reduce my weight and capture amazing images all, all while doing that. What styles of gear, types of body, maybe not exactly brands, but what types of bodies, weight, types of glass do you think are just a must in any wildlife photographer's kit that will just keep them ready to get the shots that present themselves in the wilderness? As you were talking about weight, I'm assuming portability, all of those things. Yeah. You know, these days I think mirrorless cameras are a must. I mean, the, the technology that goes into that they have that, um, the things that they're capable of the autofocus systems, like, especially if you're in wildlife photography, I think it's a no brainer. Um, so definitely, you know, and, and there's a ton of really, really great cameras and lenses out there from all brands. Um, you know, I think it, it all comes down to preference at the end of the day and, and what's important to you. Um, in terms of lenses, um, I really, I'm a huge fan when it comes to uh, placing animals in a landscape. I'm a huge fan of the 80 to 300 range. Really, really big fan of that. Um, and then when it comes to um, wildlife photography in a more intimate wildlife portrait sense, I think, uh, you know, if, if you have a zoom lens, you know, the lens that I shoot with the most is a three to 800 millimeter F four or five. Um, uh, and that gives me an incredibly, uh, diverse range of options. Um, but I think that 600 millimeters you know, kind of the gold standard, but 400 is great. 500 is great. I'd say 
at least 400 if you're just getting into wildlife photography and you're like, what lens should I get? Like, uh, Sony makes a great two to 600, for example. Um, uh, Olympus OM system makes a great, uh, one to 400. That's really affordable. But if you can get the 150 to 400 at the lower aperture, that's even better. Um, you know, Canon makes great lenses too. Um, but I think that like 400 is like a good minimum in terms of like telephoto distance, any less than 400. And I feel like you're cropping a lot more than you'd want to, um, you know, four to 600 is, is a really nice spot. And then what I love about the lens I shoot, uh, the Zuiko 150 to 400 is that the field of view, like I was saying, goes up to 800 with the teleconverter that's built in, it switches right. it to an F five, six, uh, 1000 millimeter. So for wolves, that's ideal because generally you're not that close to wolves, right? So I'm able to get much closer to my subjects uh, and um, respect them uh, with with a lens like that. And I think it's important to to tell yourself that what you're investing in is not just an investment for yourself and for your work, but it's also an investment into how you're going to exist around wildlife and you know, it's you're you're much less tempted to approach an animal if you don't need to. Exactly. Right? If you're sh- yeah. Shooting yes. a six hundred millimeter prime yeah, lens, you're you're yeah. almost forced to, to take a step back. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's important. All right, last one. So you said you said what you did. You described what you did at the moment of the shot, the moment it presented itself. And this mm-hmm. could be a bit more nuanced, but what do you do before a shot presents? Being that a shot like this could could come up at any time as, as every photographer knows, how do you stay ready for a shot to come up in the context of your gear setup, how you carry it, how you yeah. move through the woods, even maybe yeah. your, your default settings, yep. your, your, your baseline preparation for something like this to come up and for you to be ready for it. Yep. I shoot, um, almost always in, uh, either aperture priority or manual. Um, it doesn't, they're kind of the same, right. Depending on how your camera's set up. Um, at the end of the day, what I like to do is I like to set, and again, whatever uh, camera you're shooting on, you can find a way to do this. But what you need to figure out how to do is to set your aperture for wildlife specifically, set your aperture as low as it goes, unless you're shooting something like a moose where there might be more of an animal you want to get in focus, right? But generally, um, if you're at a safe distance, you know, keeping your aperture low, um, uh, and then I basically use my ISO as my guide to achieve the shutter speed that I want. Hmm. Um, So I set my aperture and then depending on the animal and like what the animal might be doing, you know, if an animal's standing still a lot, you're not going to need as high of a shutter speed. So I'm just constantly thinking about shutter speed (laughs) above everything else because, you know, if if you mess that one up or if your ISO is... You know, this happened to me once with a, a close friend of mine. We were out photographing in Grand Teton. Uh, we, we were photographing, this is when I first moved there, photographing Grizzly 399 and her oh, right. uh, wow. four cubs. And we got really lucky and she came out right in front of our car, like out of the blue. Wow. We were the only ones with her for the first few minutes, which is unheard of. And I was so excited that I just started taking photos, not noticing that... Um, my ISO was on like ISO 80 or something. And I was on aperture priority mode. And when I came home, every single shot was shot at like one fortieth of a second or something. So not a single, not a single one, not a single one was sharp. 
Um, <laughs> ever since then, I'm like shutter speed. <laughs> it's so uh, true. And and I'd and I'd honestly I'd rather like personally I'd rather overshoot my shutter speed than undershoot it. Yeah. Um, these days with technology uh, and programs like uh, Topaz Denoise, you know, I think ISO and noise is less and less of an issue. So I just like to get the image as well as I can and then worry about the rest later. I'm going to name that, Arthur, what it seems, at least from my perspective and listening to all the, even though it's gear related, what you were just talking about with Steven there, is that you have this beautiful balance of being gear ready, but also nature ready in that the things you keep saying are being in the moment and keeping things wild and you're in their home and there's no you don't cross the line to get the shot that you want to get. And I think that's so wonderfully stated and it's it's important for people to understand that. And all the photographers that we've had on, including yourself, have really made that a point to drive home is that we are here in nature, in the wild, in a place that is really not ours. And that mm-hmm. just to get these shots you know, to be in the moment and to understand that to, to be ready for something like this, it's not only gear related, but also mind and body have to be in the same spectrum in order for that to happen. And I think that's wonderful yeah. that, you, that you said that. I'm glad you appreciate that. And I, that's something I focus on a lot in not just my photography, um, but also my guiding, you know, just the sort of, uh, the sort of, uh, um, you know, feel and, um, mindset I create for guests on trips is always, um, geared towards, you know, respecting the animal, respecting the place. Um, and I think in photography, it's ever more important. I think, you know, these days with social media, there's a lot of other forces coming into play that might push people to like do things and, and not really think about what they're doing. Uh, whereas in the past, maybe in a world, sans social media you you might not have seen that as much um you know but i think that it's important to uh as photographers and as advocates of wilderness in general even even for again wildlife viewing because you know people photography now i mean it, it, you th- we think of photographers as people with like big fancy cameras but like in Yellowstone, there's people approaching animals far too close with their iPhones or right. even iPads. I've, right. I've seen people take photos on their iPads out there. And, it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, everybody is everybody has become a photographer, and especially with iPhones, you know, uh, they take great photos. You know, people are more and more in a day where we share things digitally, and we were we want to have that cool, unique experience to to share that with others. I think you know, people easily get lost lost in the sauce so to say and just you know they 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 push the limits and i think you know remaining ethical is 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 really really important and um we're seeing a really strong um change and shift in the industry from like back in the day when you know photographers around the world could capture an image of an animal and nobody would have any information on how it was captured or you know, what the conditions were, if the animal was baited, um, if it was at a game farm, like if the animal was just plain harassed in the process of getting the image, you know, let alone baiting or anything else. Like you could just be, you know, be in the presence of an animal in a way that disturbs it. And that in itself is enough to be unethical in my eyes. Um, you know, we're seeing this shift away from, um, you know, a lot of older photographers that 
maybe weren't raised in that sort of mindset. And I feel like a lot of the newer up and coming photographers in the industry are really, really inspiring and have really great values um, that they're putting forward. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's a great time to be in, in this, in this field. So it's a really, really exciting time to, to be advocating for wildlife through photography. Yeah. 100%. I, I, I agree with you on everything that you're saying. Before I move into, or we move into that, because I do want to get into your, your wildlife guiding and also your the, the impact that you're making for conservation, are there any other, because I'm on your site, and again, everyone, we're going to have Arthur's uh, website, his Instagram, so you guys can take a look at these beautiful shots that he has. Are there any other wolf experiences or wolf shots that stick out in your mind other than the one that you were talking about, Magnificence is the essence of your being. Were, were there any others that stood out to you that you had similar experiences or you did, like you say that just happened via luck that you just showed, that there was just something that happened uh, that you were able to capture an incredible moment like the one you described? Yeah, the, the first close wolf encounter I ever had, uh, there's, a, there's a series of images on my uh, Instagram uh, of a wolf in the snow. Um, and, um, really I've only ever posted these on my Instagram. I have some wider ones, but Instagram just likes close ups, Right. So I've only ever posted these two close encounters I've had with wolves. Um, but this first wolf encounter I ever had that week, I had heard of this mating pair that was out in, um, an area um, not too far from Jackson. And I spent, I think that week, a total of oh, 50 hours just waiting. And this was, this was literally just waiting because it was a spot where they had been seen and, you know, wolves are, uh, creatures of habit. Obviously there's cycles to their habits, but they, you know, might be running a route a few times, over the course of a few days or whatnot. And I spent a lot of time waiting uh, for a total of five minutes with this pair of wolves, um, you know, 50, 50 hours for five minutes. Great, ex- great exchange rate in my book after the last winter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, considering I didn't even get uh, a single minute. Um, and it really makes you appreciate those moments even more, right? When you do get them. Um, but this, this encounter... Um, you know, it was towards the end of the day. I was getting to the point where I was a little let down, you know, I was like, ah, like, you know, the sun's starting to go down. It's like 4.30 PM, like January, I don't know. It was like January 10th or something. So not a lot of light, right? Short days. And right as I'm basically ready to call it, this, this wolf starts howling like 200 yards away and eventually I see it and I had positioned myself with a friend in a place where there was an, a used wolf trail that um, they had been traveling and I was hoping to get an image and I do have one of my images of it sort of trotting right towards me and so they they, they were off in the distance and we waited sort of at the end of this trail and where it met up with like a, a groomed path um, under some power lines that they groom and they use, they groom that area to maintain them in the winter. Um, and, um, so we had just been waiting there and this wolf trotted straight down this wolf trail right towards us, stopped five yards from us, um, howled 
a few times. Its mate stayed off in the distance. She was a little more wary. Um, she stayed about a hundred yards and he just sat there and like looked at us and looked around and looked at us and howled and uh, did that a few times and, and then trotted off and chased her. Um, I think you guys might've seen that. I posted that yep. on the story yeah, yesterday. I saw that. Yeah. Chased her and they were playing and it was just absolutely one of the most incredible moments that, and then the the summer wolf close wolf encounter I had that we just talked about are, are the two, two most notable encounters and, and, uh, experiences I've had with wolves in the wild. Um, and this first one, obviously, I think I've always had this passion for wolves, right? Um, wolves and bears alike. Um, always been drawn to bears as a kid, uh, since the name Arthur means bear. Uh, it comes from uh, uh, it's Celtic origin, Artos, which literally means bear. So I've always just felt this connection to them. But wolves too, I, I literally, it's actually funny. The other day I was uh, with my family in France and my mom pulled up an old video of me uh, reading, uh, uh, or just like flipping through like the, uh, three little pigs and the big bad wolf or one of those stories, you know, that you, you, you read as a kid. And I was always obsessed with the wolf, even though they were portrayed as like the bad guy, always talking about the wolf and whatnot. And so to have that first experience with an animal after having, you know, a lifetime of, you know, uh, of dreaming about having an encounter like this really, was an incredibly powerful experience. And um, some of some of the words that I think I still go back to today, I wrote these words down sort of after this day. Um, I tend to find most of my inspiration in the moment and the day of when things are still fresh. Um, but I wrote this down and I think it's, it's something that I think uh, I've tried to spread to others and I've incorporated into my guiding and, and used in my life. And it's pretty simple. Um, it's, we must not fear that which we do not understand. Instead, we must seek to understand why it is that we fear. Um, and I think those, those words were just like, I had never read them anywhere or like, anything. And they were just like repeating themselves in my head after this encounter. It was such an incredible encounter. So special to see them in the winter, um, you know, and their beautiful full coats, um, especially, you know, a mating pair. Um, and, and um, yeah, some incredible um, opportunities came out of that. And I made some images that I'm, um, you know, really, really stoked on because they bring me back to that moment. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like I said, being passionate about where you're shooting to me, photography is a very personal thing. And it's, it's a blessing to have, to see people enjoy what I do, but I think it's important to keep it, make sure you keep the majority of that, you know, for, for yourself, you know, make sure it's something that's meaningful to you first and foremost, because why do it otherwise? Right. Those are very important points. Uh, when you talk about your guiding, it seems like those you carry the same principles that you do with photography. So, what what's a typical? Take us through your a typical experience with you as a guide, because you it, it seems like you want everyone to have that same spiritual emotional connection experience. So, what is it like if they're on a if they're on a tour with with Arthur Leffo? Yeah. Um... I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And I don't know if it's just because you caught on to it or like maybe you read something somewhere, but um I definitely like nature to me is 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 an opportunity for spiritual connection to the world around me. Um 
And I think in incorporating that uh, sort of opportunity for a more profound experience beyond just like, let's go see animals or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Or let's go learn about animals, which is important. Um, but I think um, at the end of the day, you know, as much, and I learned this really quickly when I started guiding, it's really easy to get into a mindset as a guide where you're just like littering information on people. And at, at a certain point, they just shut down, right? Um, they just want to enjoy nature. And I think focusing on, again, allowing people to, giving people the space to create their own connection to wilderness, I think is important. So when you're on tour, um, I do a lot of different kinds of tours from photography tours to, um, uh, to, um, bear viewing tours, which are not photography specific. So some of my trips and, you know, the Tetons, for example, or we're driving around a lot and maybe we'll get out and hike for a while. Um, in Alaska, we're taking a float plane out to a remote Island. Um, so, um, it, it, it definitely varies, but I think one common thread that I really focus on throughout all my guiding is leaving space for silence um, and um, sort of reading the room in a way, right? I think as a guide, our job is to make sure our guests are having fun um, and also understanding beyond having fun is, is understanding uh, the place that there are and, and giving them the opportunity to create this deeper connection. And I think one of the most important ways and tools to do that is silence. Um, so silence uh, gives people the uh, opportunity to, to think and to really like root themselves in the place that they are. And I think, for example, in bear guiding, um, we very frequently uh, have clients that are really, really stoked to see a bear for their first time. And obviously they are how couldn't you be? You know what I mean? Uh, and so they're like, bear, 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 how many bears are we going to see? Blah, blah, blah. And like, sometimes we show up and like, we have a bear, you know, this is not all the time. I don't want to give people like false, a misunderstanding false understanding of how these trips go. But sometimes, you know, you get really lucky and you show up and there's a bear and, and the bear gives you a great look, a great walk by really, really early on in your, four or five hour uh, day out there uh, before flying home. And so these people have that craving satisfied so early on. And then there's always like an awkward 30 minute period of time where they're like, so what next? And, and, but then they break through that. Um, and I find that this happens even more fluidly Um it happens even more fluidly on multi-day expeditions, right? Um, what I'm about to say, but once they get over that initial, like, wow, like you got, you, you got it out of the way, you saw your bear, right? After that is when, um, you know, generally there's a, there's a good, good opportunity to like talk about the animals and like maybe, um, you know, pass the torch back to the, to the guests and be like, so what do you think was going on? What was, what did you observe? Like, what did you think these animals were doing? Like, how did they feel? Did they look anxious? Did they look calm? Blah, blah, blah. Kind of like having them reason through what's going on, not just being the person telling them what's going on, giving them the power to sort of interpret it for themselves. And then they start like looking at things a different way, right? Because like they saw their bear, they like got that out of their system. 
And now they're like starting to sort of analyze and put themselves uh, in in this in the mind of the animal, so to say, right? Where they're trying to understand what this animal is doing. What is it? What is it doing on its day to day? Like, is is this just like a, a passing phase? Is this a place that the animal comes back to time and time again? Is this animal interacting with other animals around it? And there's so many complexities that. Uh, and, and lessons really that we can learn from, from observing animals, uh, really, really, um, uh, while remaining really present and, and remaining really calm and giving them the space to just exist again, letting them do the magic for you. Um, and it's really cool to see them sort of have that, that transition from like, okay, like they, they saw it, they were really stoked. And now it's like, they're starting to have that deeper connection. There's more opportunity for silence there, right? Where like they're thinking through everything and eventually leaving, uh, hopefully my goal as a guide is to, to provide people with that sort of deeper uh, spiritual connection to the landscape, to the animals, uh, to the environment and a deeper understanding of why things are happening, how things got us to where we are today and how, what we're doing and what, nature is doing and what these animals are doing is going to evolve into whatever, uh, will ensue. Um, so that's kind of how I run my trips. Um, in, in a nutshell, you know, like, um, focusing on conservation and, and, um, you know, learning also about the world around us, but in a way that's very personal to you and giving you the opportunity to sort of create your own story. As a guide, being that the, the experience is so subjective, person by person, you know, how you define personally what doing your job well looks like, like what happening or, or product at the end of a tour lets you know, yes, that that says to me, I did my job well. And it sounds like it's that it's that shift from surface to spiritual that maybe you you don't see in every guest, but in at least some of them lets you know that. Yeah, that this was, yeah, exactly. That this was, I did a good job on this one. This was, this was my goal. Yeah, I think, yeah, you nailed it. Um, to me, um, what I define as success, I mean, if people have a good time, that's like, all right, I did like the bare minimum, mm, right? right? Actually, no, let me back up. If they, if they came back <laughs> alive. alive, unharmed, <laughs> there you go. That, that, is, that is the bare minimum. Now, if they yep. come back and they had a good time, you know, then like, that's great. That's great. But if they come back and they are in tears of joy, that's what I live for. There is nothing in the world that makes me happier and feel more fulfilled. And this happened on my last tour before actually leaving on this uh, little uh, escapade to Europe for two weeks. Um, I uh, guided uh, uh, two older sisters and uh, one of their granddaughters. And they were very much like that to the point that like, it's hard for me as a guide not to feel the same way when my guests feel that way. Right. Um, because it's, it's, it's a proof, a hard physical proof that like they had a really, really profound experience out there and that they get it, they get it. And when people are out there, I mean, here's, here's sort of like a, a little bit more insight into how that might look from a client perspective, you know, seeing the animal is seeing, uh, a wild brown bear is my goal. 
on some of these trips. It does, I don't specify like how far or anything like that. It's just our goal is to see a wild brown bear because that is our goal. We don't control wildlife. If we see a wild brown bear, that's incredible. Um, but if by the end of the trip, they're not just thanking the bears, they're thanking the trees, they're thanking the birds, they're thanking the eagles, they're thanking the mountains, they're thanking uh, the indigenous people who have been stewards to this land for tens of thousands of years. That's when I know people like really get it and, and have had that deeper connection to a place. And, and those are the experiences I think that are incredibly powerful and in, um, creating waves in conservation, right? There's, these are the, the people that are going to be the most passionate advocates and the most uh, relatable people to talk to when it comes to preserving uh, places like these. Yeah. I feel you because when I, when I do tours at Wolf Connection, it's the same. I, it's, it's funny how a lot of the same things that you do, I, I try to incorporate in the tours that I give is that giving that silence, trying not to overload with facts, but also what you just said rings completely true is that if they leave knowing that they want to come back to this place, this place means more than just, I had my wolf experience. I met a wolf. I saw a wolf. I heard a wolf howl for the first time that it's there. There's more to it than just that, than just, you know, the, the place itself has a magic. The place itself has a calming effect. The place itself brings peace or humility or whatever it may be, like you say, the conservation aspect. And I think that is so vitally important. I agree with you. I, I can't agree with you more on getting those types of feelings or reactions after whether it be a tour or a guide or things of that sort. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's the place, right. First and foremost. And I think this brings me, when you said that I came back to that comment I made earlier about nature versus wilderness and like, to me, there is a certain uh, certain magic about being in a wild place versus being in a place in nature that even if you are like, you could be in exactly the same setting, right? You could be uh, in a beautiful forest sitting in calm and silence, but there's a difference between sitting in a forest in calm and silence an hour outside of Denver, Colorado, where you know there are very few carnivores, you know, uh, existing, you know, top of the food chain type of animals. You know, there's there's a few black bears, but like it's nothing like, you know, when you think about the last frontier up in Alaska, you know what I mean? Like the experience of just sitting in a forest and knowing what is around you, what exists, what roams through this forest, I think is 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 more profound. And it's really in those places that I think some of these experiences are most possible because of, because of the animals that inhabit them, you know, wolves being, uh, an incredible symbol of wildness, um, that they are. And, and, and that's why, you know, I think using animals, um, like wolves and bears as sort of icons of, wilderness is so powerful in conservation because they, without them, there is no wilderness, truly. There's just nature. And I think wilderness is something we, we, we need to cherish and, and reassess in our priority list as, as a species. On all points, I agree with you. Arthur, tell everybody your website, your social, where, if they're, if they want to look for you as a guide, (laughs) if there's a way for that to happen, tell everybody all those things so they can look at all this wonderful stuff that you're doing uh, and they continue to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so my main channel is on my Instagram. Uh, it's just at Arthur Lefo, A-R-T-H-U-R-L-E-F-O. Uh, that's where I post most of my stories. That's where I post my work uh, day in and day out. You know, new photos I'm getting. Uh, I share a ton on my stories. Uh, my website is pretty simple. It's just ArthurLefo.com. Um, I am currently revamping my print shop, but should have some some stuff available for sale by the time this um, episode drops. So check it out. Um, and I'll have some uh, tours listed on there soon as well. Starting this winter, I'll be uh, leading my own uh, tours in, um, so on a private basis, my own company in uh, Yellowstone and Grand Teton, um, specifically focusing on wolves and the Northern range in Yellowstone, which I guess we'll see how that works out with all the floods and right. I'm really sure how that's going to play out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of a shakeup I wasn't anticipating, but, um, anyways, yeah. Um, and you can always reach out to me on Instagram. That's a great way to get into contact with me or by email, Arthur at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions about tours, um, currently we're building a lot of really, really exciting tours in Alaska next year and the years uh, to come. Uh, camping expeditions to go see bears, uh, boat-based expeditions, uh, just a lot of really, really cool stuff. And of course, uh, doing some tours in Wyoming, as I always have, um, and Montana. And would love to see some of you guys out there. Um, another place for those of you who might be interested in um, my work, uh, of course, I sell prints on my website, uh, but we actually just opened a few friends of mine uh, and myself a uh, an ethical wildlife photography gallery. It's in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Oh, awesome. Um, nice. It's called Mother Wolf Gallery. Um, and the image that we were talking about earlier, Magnificence is the Essence of Your Being, which was actually on the cover of uh, the summer edition of the International Wolf Centers magazine. Um, I don't know for those, you guys can't see it, but if you can probably see it on my Instagram because I'll be posting this soon. Oh yeah, definitely but, post that. Um, That's awesome. That image, that image is exclusively available in fine art print at Mother Wolf Gallery. And we have proceeds going back to organizations uh, benefiting these animals um, and really focusing again on in this gallery on ethical wildlife photography. A lot of incredible photographers are also featured in there. Uh, Brooke Bartleson, um, Dave Sanford, um, uh, and uh, John Kuiper, among others. So um, that's about it. That's how you can get in touch with me. Would love to chat more with some of you guys uh, in the future. Yeah, dude, you are you're a incredible steward and everybody listen and Arthur's right you we we contacted him on Instagram even though he was on his in his vacay or his trip in Europe he got back to us so Arthur is extremely uh, reachable and communicative and things of that sort my last question for you my friend is when you hear the word wolf what is the thing that comes to your mind uh, it's funny because my phone actually auto corrects wild to wolf sometimes <laughs> and and vice versa like it'll just flip flop them. Cause I guess the letters are next to one another, like the I and the O. Um, and, um, yeah. So wild, you know, I think like I was saying earlier, like wolves and bears are symbols of wildness. And if you have wolves and bears on the landscape, you know, you are truly in a wild place. And, and that in itself is something that I cherish very, very deeply. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hope um, to inspire many, many more people to cherish very deeply. And I know many of you listening feel the same way. So 
thank you guys for being a part of um, a community of people that is essential to keeping our planet wild and beautiful. Absolutely. Awesome to meet you, man. This was fantastic. Yep. Uh, this is this is so cool. Uh, we'll have all of Arthur's stuff in the description for the podcast, and uh, you guys definitely check him out. Uh, how's to all of you out there? And Stephen and I will be with you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Looking to support Wolf Connection or sponsor one of the wolves in our pack? Just go to wolfconnection.org, click on the Donate tab, and find out more information. <laughs>